Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. Welcome back to Set for Life. Today we have once again with us Theo Jedlica missionary from El Salvador. He's with us again. And me and Theo, we've been talking a lot about a lot of things. We've lately. been talking a whole lot. Buddy. About all kind of stuff. We've covered a lot of things, but one thing that kind of keeps coming back, some kind of a main theme that seems to always be somewhere in our discussion is the topic of love. Whether we love people who are believers with us or people who have a lack of love. It's always a, a love problem. And so we we were just we just been kind of riding around talking about w- what podcast subject to do and it just seemed to me like love is a good one to hit on because Theo I think there's something we're required to have of ourselves if people are g- going to know that we're real. We got to love, man. Got to love people. That includes the people you ordinarily would not love. Well, you know, and I think talking about love I think we have to we have to start with with the greatest command. We have to start with the commandment to love, right? The scripture says that they will know that we are his disciples by our love for one another. But Jesus also said in Matthew that the greatest commandment that we have as believers is to love. And I think that that's something that right now it feels like there's just not a whole lot of around us no you have to be in my political party for me to love you you have to be in my church you have to like my video games you have to like my My sports team the height of grass in my front yard i don't like long (laughs) grass blades and you have to use a honda mower and whatever it's just we really what it boils down to is nobody gets along with anybody anymore because nobody loves anybody anymore well and you know paul said that in the end of days the last times that men would be lovers of themselves and the love will be cold and that is where we're at now you you see this you know self-love and hashtag treat yourself and and do things for yourself and what we've done is we've taken selfishness which we understood always to be a vice and to be a weakness a sign of someone that that doesn't have their life together and we've put it up on the throne and and we've tried to make it sound better by calling it uh, loving yourself or taking care of yourself, and the reality is, it's just selfishness. It's just it's just putting ourselves in God's place and worshiping ourselves. And I guess the way the deception of it is, why is it wrong if it's love yourself? It's love, right? We use the word love. <laughs> there you go. We got the word love in there, so that must be okay. I want to read to y'all from John thirteen and thirty four. Jesus said, "A new commandment I give to you, that you love." not yourself, that you love one another Mm. as I have loved you, that Mm. you also love one another. By this, 
all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, what's interesting, he said, I want you to love each other the way I loved you. So you got to consider how did Jesus love us? Christian, I want you to think of this. When you were out there sinning your tail off, ignoring the Lord God, he died for you. The nails were driven in. When he said, Lord, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. That's the kind of love he had for us. Okay, now, he said, I want you to love people the way I loved you. So I know that you've got friends and, and people around you that, that are, quote, unquote, uh, figuratively crucifying you. They take everything out of you they can get. They are trying to make you pay for their happiness in some kind of way, and you hate them for it. But Jesus said, I want you to love them the way I loved you. So what I'm thinking, Theo, is if, if Christ could love me, and die for me, and say, Father, forgive him, for he doesn't know what he's doing, while the nails were being driven in. Christ died for us while we were still yet sinners. Then what that means, if we're going to love others the way Christ loved us, we got to love them even though they're antagonizing us. Oh, yeah. And the world doesn't want to do that. No, you antagonized me. You said bad. You talked, you talked stuff about me. So forget you. You know, I'm not your friend now because you said bad things about me. Well, wait a minute. That's not loving them the way Christ loved us. And the big kicker on this is, that, friends, this is how they're going to know that you belong to Jesus, because he said, from this, loving them the way he loved us, from this, that's how they're going to know that we are his disciples, by how we love one another. The reality, Ray, is it's not love if it's not costing you. Certainly. If it's, if it's just, you know, wavy gravy you know, these people are nice to me and I'm nice back to them. That that ain't that don't gain you anything. No. Love is is the active decision of laying down myself, laying down my rights, my interest, my uh, assertion to put myself first and things and laying that down and instead preferring others. That's uh the definition that Paul gives in the book of Philippians. He That's says, what being a living sacrifice is. That's it. He says that we ought to we ought to esteem others as better than ourselves. So that's what love is. It's about putting other people first. And instead of saying, "Is this is this what's good for me? Is this going to make me feel right? Is this going to accomplish my goals?" Instead, taking those criteria and putting it putting the other person in there. Is this going to bless him or her? Is this going to bless them? Is this going to is this going to do something good to them? Am I leaving them better than I found? I'm glad you said to esteem others better than yourself, because that's that that has quite a perspective to it in that it means this. When you esteem others as better than yourself, that means you walk into the job place or, or this place where you feel like you're superior. What you really need to do is you need to walk in there and think everybody in the room is better than me. Yeah. Everybody else is better than I am. Well, and even if they're not, I'm going to treat them like they are. Exactly. Don't act like you're better than them because you make more money. You've been at that field of work longer. You have more experience. You're higher up the totem pole. Everybody else is better than you. And that's kind of the first way. See, Jesus came here as a king, friends. He There was no reason except for his own will why a king should have to go and bow himself humble uh, and humble himself down low enough to get on a cross. That's not what we typically think of a king should be doing. And is there anyone better than Jesus? Really? No, there's not. But he actually got so low even to the point of death on a cross, and he did that for us. And we're, we're not above him. He's above us. So if Jesus could love us like that, then when you walk into the room of someplace, you say, 
everybody here's better than me. Mm. And then you serve them accordingly. You know, Theo, there's a, a saying, a selfish heart says that everything I don't have should come to me. But a giving and loving heart says everything I do have should go to others. Yeah. Everybody else is better. And that, friends, again, this is how they're going to know that you're his. Not by the bumper sticker on your car. Not by telling people how often you go to church or how much money you gave or my pastor is so-and-so. They're not going to know you're a Christian by that. They're going to know you're a Christian by by how you love one another, other people. I think think that the key, though, Ray, is that we don't know what love is, and we can't know what love is unless we get the context from Jesus. Because... People are walking around now saying, well, you know, if you loved me, you would let me live my life the way I want. If you loved me, you would accept my sin. If you loved me, you would accept me the way that I am. That's manipulation. Well, it, it's, it's short-sighted love. It's a Certainly. selfish love. And it's a love that it doesn't grasp the real definition of what love is trying to do. Um, I wanted to read this passage here in Matthew. Jesus was talking to the Pharisees. It says in Matthew twenty two thirty four, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they assembled together. And one of them, an expert in religious law, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Jesus said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. So this guy comes up and he and he thinks that he's gonna stump Jesus. He thinks that he's got the perfect riddle for Jesus, because there's a lot of commandments, and how is Jesus gonna narrow it down just to one? And Jesus uh Jesus is is asked the question, which one commandment is the is the best of all the other. It's kind of like asking your parents, which, ch- which child do you love the most? Mm-hmm. There's no, there's yeah. no, there's no right answer. You're going to, you're going to piss someone off. <laughs> you're going to leave someone out. And so he asked him, which commandment is the most important? And so he, he does what he always does. He circles right around the trap that they laid for him. And he answers their question saying the greatest commandment actually has two parts. Now, the way that he says it in the Greek, that's kind of what he's saying. He's not saying it's one and then two. He's saying it's a two-parter. And why is it a two-parter, Ray? He says, the greatest commandment, here you go, love God and then love others. And the reason he lays it out there as a two-parter is because you can't do one without doing the other. You say, you can try to love God and you can say that you love God, but if you don't love your neighbor, then you don't love God. It's not a real love. But by the same by the same principle, you can't say that you love your neighbor and not love God. A lot of people say that they love each other, right? We we talk about uh we talk about that and you look at how society has twisted and perverted the concept of love. The reality is that we will not understand what love is or what it really is supposed to be unless we're in a loving relationship with God. And so if we're not loving God and receiving his love, there's no way that we can love each other. There's no way we can love other people because we don't 
we don't have any context of what love is supposed to look like. Love is supposed to look the way God said it is, and he's outlined it in his word. Um, you know, Theo, everybody has their own version of what they think love is. They have their own brand, their own flavor of love, and it's getting things awfully mixed up, and it's confusing lots of people on what, mm. what you're saying and what we need to be doing. I was talking to the girl, um, some girl at the coffee shop the other day, and I asked her, uh, I was going to give her the gospel, and she, she uh, had a reason for not wanting to believe in it because she said her mother was this great Christian, always went to church, smile on her face, except when she was at home. And when she was at home, she abused the kids, and I don't know what all that meant, but she said, I don't buy it because my mom would be one thing when she was with her churchy friends at church, but totally different when she was with us. That ain't Christianity. It's not Christianity, and it's not real love. So this, the, the side effect, after effect from that is this young girl doesn't want anything to do with Christianity because she, she's, the mom is not loving others as Jesus loved her. Yeah. The, what God's word says is love. You love all that way, not just when you go to church. And, you know, I felt bad for this girl because I was trying to explain to her how God does love her. And I said, I loved you enough to come tell you, and I don't even know who you are. Mm. But mom messed her up. Yeah. Now, I wanted to, I, I wanted to talk about this phrase in the passage that Jesus says, because I've been asked a lot of questions as a pastor about it. You see, Jesus says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And I can't tell you, if I had a dollar for every sermon I've heard about loving yourself based off of this passage, man, I'd be, I'd be a wealthy man, Ray. And the idea here is Jesus is not saying that you need to love yourself. The question that comes out of this is, do you need to love yourself to love others properly? And, and if you get in the Greek, you realize real quickly that Jesus is not giving you an order of events. He's not saying that you need to love yourself so that you can love others. Instead, he's saying that in the same manner or in the same way that you already love yourself, you need to love other people. Now, C.S. Lewis has got a great breakdown of this passage. C.S. Lewis says, how do we love ourselves? What kind of love do we have for ourselves? Well, when a man wakes up in the morning, he looks in the mirror, he doesn't look at himself and say, wow, what a handsome guy. I love you. You're the best. What a, what a good guy. I, man. He said, no, that's not the kind of love that we have for ourselves. The kind of love we have for ourselves is the kind of love that says, no matter what I do, no matter ho how horrible I am, no matter what kind of sin I'm in, no matter how much I'm hurting other people, I'm always rooting for me. I'm always rooting for me to do well, to get, to get out, to get out of things scot-free and, and, and to succeed in whatever I'm doing. And that's the kind of love that we're supposed to have for other people. It's not a feel-good love. It's not saying, man, I just love this guy next to me. I'm just going to come up on him and hug him. And, and maybe it's someone you don't get along with at all. But, but no, the kind of love that we ought to have for them is the love that says, I want to see this guy succeed. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure that he succeeds, even if he's a horrible person. Because that's the kind of love we have for ourselves. Even if we're doing horrible things, we want ourselves to succeed. Nobody, nobody hates himself, Ray. Even people that are depressed don't hate themselves. They don't get up in the mirror and, and say, oh, I, I really hope that I get hurt by other people today. I really hope that other people make me feel bad. Man, I really deserve that. No, nobody thinks like that. We feel ashamed when we do things poorly, and we feel bad 
about that, but that's not the same as hating ourselves. And the thing is that, that we need to love people with this kind of love where we're saying, you know what, I may not get along with this person, I may not share any of their lifestyle decisions, I may not have much in common with them, but I want to see the best for them. I want to see them succeed, and I'm willing to sacrifice some of my time, some of my resources, some of my emotional stability to get in, get involved in their lives and invested in their lives to see them succeed. And, you know, I'm glad you said something about love being a feeling and kind of thing that it's not. You said it's, it's not, I, I don't feel like loving this guy. <laughs> because, you know, when the alarm clock goes off and you've got to get up in the morning and go to work, you don't feel like going to work. No. You want to stay home and stay in bed and just let somebody else go make all the money. But you've got to do it. The thing to do is you, you have to do it. It's a, a commandment over your life that you have got to make the money, provide for the family. So you get up past the I don't feel like it, set your feelings aside and your emotions, and you got to do what's right. Loving one another is what's right. Loving one another as Jesus loved us is the right thing to do. Loving sacrificially is the right thing to do. So you may love somebody at one moment because it's an emotionally and an emotionally assigned love, but the emotions can drain out, and the next day you don't love them much anymore. I mean, gosh, when you raise kids, sometimes you, sometimes you. I'm not saying you don't love them, but the the emotional feeling. Oh, you could say kind of goes off, and you're like, you "Golly, this kid, you... I want to wring their neck," you know. <laughs> and that happens. But you love them regardless because your loving your children is not assigned to emotional feeling. It is a decision that is the right thing to do that you're inclined to do. Well, and you know, as my wife will often remind me, we don't we don't always love our children, right? We there's moments where we're selfish, there's moments where we hurt our children. There's moments where we hurt our spouse. And the reality is that not everyone loves their husband or wife. There's people that 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 end up, you know, going nuts and love is not a set of feelings. You know, we've got all of these all of these songs on the radio and and Y'all might have just been listening to one of them, right? Talking about, I want that love and feeling. Well, you know, feelings are just an indication of how you're doing. Feelings are just an indication of what's going on inside of you. And if you're feeling a loving feeling, it might be because you're feeling excited about something. You got into a new relationship with someone and you're excited about the prospect of where it may go. But that's not love. That's love is a choice. Mm -hmm. Love is choosing to lay ourselves down for other right. people like Jesus did. And you know what? Feelings follow. They often follow, but they don't always. And if things aren't feeling so good, Jesus didn't always feel good about loving us. You know? He didn't feel good about going to the cross either. He, he didn't he, feel good he, in the garden. He dreaded it, but he knew it was the right choice to make. And he, he loved that us. choice in because spite he loved of his us. feelings. Right. Uh, so, I mean, gosh, there's a lot we can learn from this. Uh, I don't feel like loving you today. Well, you know, it's a choice that you commit to. I think that's a big part of it is the commitment aspect of it. Uh, when you have children, you are committed to your children because they're yours. Mm. Therefore, you choose to love them even when they do things they ought not to. And I think this is why God made us parents is because we do things all the time that really get under his, get on his nerves. But so do our children to us, but we love them anyway. Well, and, you know, there's a reason that there's a reason that the first thing that God establishes when he creates his, his world 
is is he creates a marriage. He creates a man, and then he says that man should not be by himself. That ain't right, right? He says he needs to not be alone, and he creates the woman to go along with him. And so the idea there, Ray, is that man would need to be in a relationship in order to understand his purpose and his mode of being. And God has created us as relational beings. He was talking with with Adam and Eve while they walked in the garden. So he was already in relationship with them. And love only exists in the context of a relationship. So you can't be an island. Even if you're a single person and you're called to singleness, you can't live without other people that you're pouring into and that are pouring into you. Because God literally made us with that need built into us. He made us with that God-shaped hole in our heart. We've all heard that. But he also made us with the need for fellowship and love. And the thing is, you can't learn to love someone else if you don't have anyone else around. So I think, you know, I, I think our world doesn't want that. I look, at, I look at our world and we're getting more and more and more isolated where life is just about us, and people are pulling away even from their families, they're pulling away from their, from their spouses, they're pulling away from their children, and they think that if they pull away, they're going to find some kind of inner peace, they think that they're going to feel better, and in reality, all they find is depression and loneliness and a lack of self-worth, because they don't realize that they're just focusing on themselves. That's one thing that social media has done. Uh, social media and texting, I love texting, but texting is not designed to work between two people who are together. Texting is designed to work between two people who are not together, who are apart from each other. Social media, you ask anybody, why are you on social media? Why well, can keep up with all my friends? But what it promotes is not going to visit your friends because I know, I know what they did yesterday on, on Facebook. So you're not actually with your friends because, hey, I got them on Facebook. I don't need to go see them. It's actually promoting a separate, you said isolation. It's promoting isolation, and then we're really left lonelier. I mean, whatever happened to the days where we all got together and did big family picnics together and, and got together and, and went to people's houses and did stuff? Well, I don't need that. Mm. I got Facebook. I can just text them now. You need to get together with people in relationship. And when I think of the Lord God saying that upon belief, having believed, you are marked with the Holy Spirit, the, the indwelling. The promise of the guarantee, having believed God indwells you, friends, that it, there is no closer relationship of love than an inward dwelling. God doesn't say, if you believe in me, I'll make the texting better between you and me between here and heaven. He says, no, I'm going to come and indwell inside you. And that's relationship. And we learn a lot about that relationship through our relationships with people. So, and you know, first, one thing I want to say is 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4, says, love suffers long and is kind. First off, love suffers long because sometimes the people you love are not easy to get along with. <laughs> well, if they're people, they're usually, they're right, usually if they're got people. problems. It suffers long and is, as, and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Uh, culture today, we need to remember that. Love doesn't parade itself around like we see a lot today. And it's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, which is my way. Iniquity is my way, the highway. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. 
and it bears all things. Yes, even when that guy you're supposed to love just treats you like dirt, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. Your emotions will fail. Uh, your way of your iniquity will fail. When you seek your own, when you look to hang around only with the people who already agree with you already, that's going to fail. When you puff up and behave rudely, you're going to fail. When you're thinking evil things that the God's word says is evil, that's going to fail. But love is not going to fail. But it is a choice we have to make, and it's going to have to put up with a lot. There ain't no doubt. We're not saying it's easy, but it is better. It endures. It is a very blessed way to live. Well, and let's say this, Ray. There's maybe someone out there listening thinking, well, I'm, I'm trying to love so-and-so. I'm trying to love <laughs> yeah. my spouse or my children. I'm trying as hard as I can. And and I just I, I don't know I'm at the place where I can't try anymore. The point of of loving others is not about trying. You can try as hard as you want until you're blue in the face, but you can't love others in in the way that you're called to unless you're receiving that love from God. In other words, he enables it from the start. You cannot give what you're not getting. Right. If you're not being filled up with God's love. If you don't have God's people around you loving on you, then it's going to be impossible for you to love other people. In other words, God, when he has called us to love one another, he is giving us a task that is impossible unless we're correctly connected to him and to his body. He's giving us a task that is impossible for us to do on our own because it's not something that he intends for us to do in our own strength. It's something that he intends to do in his strength. And so if you're, if you're feeling like you're running on empty, uh, the answer is easy. You got to go back to the source. You got to go back to Jesus and get plugged into him and get plugged into the body. Cause friends, it is not about trying harder. If you try harder, you're going to burn out. You're going to burn out. You try harder doing the same thing. You're going to get the same results double time. And and it doesn't work that way. A lot of people tell me, Ray, I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm like, well, you feel worn out? They're like, yeah. I said, you feel like you're out of steam? They said, oh, yeah, I'm out of steam. I said, that's because you're running on your steam. You're not running on God's steam. He never runs out. Mm-hmm. Make a switch and run on the Lord's steam. It, he he never fails. Love never fails. It's, it's like that old American adage, right? Don't work hard, work smart. smart. <laughs> and, you know, I think that in marriage – Sometimes it can feel like you're just trying so hard to make things work. And in ministry, it can feel that way as well. You're just trying so hard to make things work. You're really trying to love people and to pour into people. And the reality is that if we're not doing things the right way, it doesn't matter how hard we're trying. Friends, what we're trying to tell you is that there is freedom, there is peace, there's rest. You're tired, you're worn out, all that. You're trying too hard. You're trying on your own. You're not trying on on what the Lord has to give you. We want to offer you peace. We don't want to, we want to offer you rest, a place for you to unwind and get the burdens, get the weights off of you that have been hurting you for so long. It doesn't have to be like this. You can make a change right now. It's called repenting. Most people hate that word, but really on the other side of repentance, it's a whole lot better than where you are. I don't know why people hate it so much when they discover what it is. It feels so much better because it's so much more freeing. It is spiritually freeing. It will actually affect your physical 
I was under pressure one time, Theo, and my jaw always ached. And I realized that my jaw was always clenched together because I was always so mad all the time. Hmm. I'm talking through my teeth, by the way. And I realized I was mad about something and my jaw ached. And when I was freed, I didn't clench my jaw. I stopped getting the headaches mm-hmm. and all the weird things that went with it. It's, it's a stress that you don't need, friend. And let the Lord Jesus free you from these things, these burdens that you're under. It makes me think, Ray, about the prodigal son. I think most of the listeners are probably familiar with the story. The son asks his father for the inheritance. He runs away with it, and he squanders it. And most of the time that we talk about the prodigal son, we focus in on the son. And we forget about, we forget about the father, right? The father is the one that runs out as an old man and, and greets his son, who's done nothing but spit uh, spit at him, right? And spit on his face. And the father's the one that runs out with open arms and says, welcome back, son, and puts the robe on him and puts the ring on him and restores him to the position. We can't love unless we're being loved. And God loves us more than anyone in the universe. He loves us in spite of ourselves, in spite of what we've done, not because of who we are, but because of who he is, the kind of God he is. He is that father that is waiting for us to return. And returning, Ray, you talked about returning to God. Returning to God is that act of repentance. It's saying, you know what? Things are not going the way that I wanted. I recognize that things are broken. I feel bad about it. But I'm not going to stay in that feel-bad feeling. I'm not going to sit around and and sit in the mud. I'm going to turn around and go back to God so that he can give me a new shot at things. And then when we go to God, that that love and that acceptance that only he can give us cleanses us. And then he takes the mud off us, he watches us, washes us off, and then we can be loved and learn to love the way that he has called us to love others. But that repentance ray, it's it's not just a once in a lifetime thing, it's a daily thing. It's renewing our walks in our relationships with God every day. Because if we don't, we can get dirty and, and get tired from the, from the way, from the path, the road of life that we're walking on. Give God a shot, would you? Would you give him a shot, what we're trying to say today? Would you say, look, my way hadn't worked yet. It hasn't worked for a long time. Everything I've tried to do on my own, it just doesn't work. I'm asking you, friend, try God's way for once. Make a switch. Give him a shot and see what he does. Here's how you do it. Say, Father, forgive me. I have sinned. My sin, my iniquity, my way or the highway attitude has done nothing but brought trouble. Lord, I'm tired. I ran on my own steam and I have no more left. Lord, fill me up. Give me your steam. Let me run on you. And please restore me, Father, because I don't have anything left. Restore me back and give me peace. I need your peace. I want it. And I realize now I'm the one that blew it because I sinned. Father, thank you for your gift of eternal life through Jesus and restoring me back. I'm going to take you up on this one, Lord God, and I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Theo, if people take the Lord up on that offer, what's going to happen? They're going to get transformed. They're going to get transformed into the image of Christ. You know, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and life more abundantly. He wants us to enter into that rest, into that shalom peace, that peace that surpasses understanding, that wraps around us and says, you know what? 
you can take your eyes off of these trials and put your eyes on me. Because things are going to be all right when you get up to heaven. You don't have to focus on this world around you. And when, we, when we're able to do that, yeah, God transforms us. Friend, you're probably thinking that's what I need, a total transformation to get out of this rut I'm in. Well, Jesus has that transformation if you'll give your life to him. Thank you all for listening to me today. And I just want you to know you are not, and I say this all the time, you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life.